This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. What if we played a game, Andy? Yeah. You were on the side of not do it, and I'm on the side of do it. I don't want to be tagged that way. Okay. Let's, <laughs> all right. Three, two. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. Scott, what's up, my man? Much. Great. Fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Viafania. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Coming up on the show this week, new rules for street vendors are here. Effective this week, there are more restrictions for micro businesses and people selling food and other wares. Sunglasses are hot on sidewalks. Lopez, you've been following this for months now. Uh, you're going to explain what parts of the city are affected because not all of them are yet. Nope. And the drama at 101 Ash Street continues. Big news this week Mayor Todd Gloria and the city attorney disagree on the best path forward. The mayor and looks like a majority of the city council want to settle a key part of the lawsuit that they've been involved in for some time about that tower. And finally, I think we can say why this whole scandal really matters. Are you ready for that? What is really at stake here is finally clear. Okay. So we will go through that and the settlement is going to be on the docket for Monday. We'll explain both why the mayor wants to settle and why the city attorney doesn't. And then finally, our intrepid reporter, Lisa Halverson, is going to join us. She did a great story this week uh, about a, a family and their struggle with homelessness and housing in San Diego. It's a very compelling look at how hard it is to be homeless and how hard it is to get out of homelessness and into a home. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Hey, did you hear, Lopez, about the Assembly Select Committee on Gasoline Supply and Pricing? No. (laughs) No? You haven't heard of it? No. Well, so you might remember a few months ago. Do you remember this? We talked about it on this show. Yes. When they announced, that's right. When they announced the, uh, the, or when the governor announced that he. My memory is of it. We did not apply. Wait, what? Quite enough skepticism about no, anything that's happening. that's what I wanted to bring up. Okay. They, remember, this is when the governor said he wanted to give everybody $400. Oh, yes. Because of how could, high gas prices had gotten. You said I could buy a sword. <laughs> Forgot about the sword. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, okay. sorry. You <laughs> now I remember. <laughs> now you, you remember the important part, yes. <laughs> you, uh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to put that on layaway for a while. It's not happening. Oh, no. But they did form the Assembly Select Committee on Gas Supply and pricing to handle whether they should do something about gas prices and they might get it done by October. So this thing that the governor put in motion like three months ago is now put off for another sort of six months. I just got to say, what are they doing? I hope the, 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 
committee, the select committee, just sort of empowers a task force to look at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, look, if you don't want to address the mm-hmm. gas price crisis, don't. Maybe you're okay with how high it is. And maybe you believe that gasoline and oil has a major cost on the environment and life. And that cost should be reflected in the cost of it. Or that the, the levers at your disposal will, will not meaningfully change right. anything su- such that you would like to tinker with them. However, if you do think it's a problem, just do something. <laughs> yeah. Soon. Yeah. Don't right. make a committee and <laughs> a task force. Yeah. The, the gasoline supply and pricing. Okay. Why do they have these crazy names? Because they're scared. <laughs> what does it spell something? Uh, A-S-C-G-S-P. That's worse. I don't think so. Askabish. Askabish. Yeah. So that's Tony Atkins. Remember our state senator, the president of the state senate from San Diego said that she was on it. Well, that's, she's still on it, but they're not going to stop the gas tax increase that is set for the next month. Just three cents, but another three cents on there. So we'll see if they, if the committee on gas supply and pricing comes up with the solution. I remember several months ago, there was uh, some folks who were like, what happened to Balboa Park? It's a big mess of vendors and it's just mm-hmm. been trashed. And and then I remember responding to them. I said, look, uh, well, there is a plan to you know, regulate it at the city. We're waiting for the regulations. And oh, I, I bet you that'll fix it. The city can fix anything. <laughs> but it did, seems like. They, they did do the law, and it has had a change. Bobo Park's empty now. Yeah, I, I drove um, today. I went to check it out, and there's nobody there. It's like nothing. It's back to what it used to be before. Like this sleepy old Balboa Park with some nice buildings. Yeah, and museums. Andy, do you want to give your take on the museums there? I'd rather not. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Such a coward. That, just write that into the uh, the ongoing VOSD pod canon. At one point, I'll, I'll let loose on At that one. one point, but I've gotten, and, I've gotten Andy no has a take. Didn't got, you talk about it on Twitter? Absolutely not. He has a take. He's got like 10 takes. Yeah. That he's too cowardly to share in the pod. But someday... I got to live in the city, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but they're gone. They, okay. I went today. There's no one there. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the news reports. A lot of the uh, TV stations were following, like, you know, what's going to happen today? Like, the street um, street ordinance goes into effect. And so, yeah, they're pretty much gone from Balboa Park. That also includes areas like Gas Lamp, where they're not allowed. But the areas where they're not allowed but that the laws haven't gone into effect because they have to pass the Coastal Commission um, are all the beach areas where are those are the areas that people have been complaining about for the longest time. Yeah, so, so yeah, I went down to OB this weekend and yes, there were the old typical sunglass guy, mm-hmm. the, the wind chimes lady, lots of stuff. So <laughs> the rule basically came in and said, you, A, you got to get these permits. They're, mm-hmm. they're not that expensive, but you have to get one. Yep. And there's certain areas you just can't be, especially in the summer, right? Yeah. And then there's certain areas where they can't be just during the summer because you know more people are going out to these public spaces. Um, a lot of the beach areas are included in that. And it is that time period during the summer where they're not supposed to be there. But because they're the beach areas, you know, these uh, laws have to go through the Coastal Commission and they're not even on their agenda. So who knows when <laughs> they'll take them up. So right now there are vendors in a lot of those beach areas. Coastal Commission takes a, it takes a long time for things to work through that. Is, place, there, is there any state entity that is just so awesome about how much control it has yeah, over us and how it just wields it? It's like, yeah. oh, that law, hold on. Yeah, hold on like, for a moment. Like un, untouched by <laughs> by political concerns. Yeah, they're just yeah. like they. What was the one? Just the the parking, right? They they yeah. said you could build a certain ADUs, granny yeah. granny flats, without parking 
you know, res- uh, sort of requirements attached to them. The city did. The yeah. city did. But then the coastal just this week said, no, nah, no, nah, hold down, please. <laughs> <laughs> like a year and a half after the, the city yes. passed the regulation. You hold like, on with your law. Ah, I like, like the voice you're making. Yeah, like this is exactly how I you, picture them. <laughs> this is the second time you've you've invoked a very like I know, your the accent isn't right, but the sentiment is again very Russian novel. <laughs> it's very like Moscow got around to weighing in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but it, it it's like every single there's the vacation rentals thing. We're still waiting for them on that, right? Mm-hmm. What there there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. they they get to say what we get to do on. So CBS 8 reported that as of June 15th, the city has only issued 36 permits, uh, which is interesting. The city expects at least, uh, you know, a thousand permits to be issued in the first year. Um, So we'll see if that goes up. But again, because the rules just went into effect, the city has said that they're going to take kind of like an educational approach. So first giving out warnings, you know, they're not going to be like out there ticketing all the these vendors um but but there are some pretty big fines i mean they range from two hundred dollars to a thousand dollars to getting your equipment taken away if you don't have a permit at all mm. so it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks what happens um and also the council says they're going to watch what happens with these rules and the cost of the permits because they brought it down from like 200 something to like 36 38 dollars um and the permits costing 200 meant that a lot of money was going to come to the city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now it's like 36, 38. I don't remember the exact number. So Here's my question. On Sundays in Bar Logan, will you still be able to get the birria tacos? There's like rules against distance. So I think that'll hurt neighborhoods like Barrio Logan, where you are seeing like this like big street vendor kind of like welcome I think in that neighborhood, Uh, but there are rules against like uh, distance from one another. So right now all the vendors have been setting up like side by side. They won't be able to do that. Got it. Lopez has been all over the street vendor story and you can keep up with all of her reporting at VOSD.org slash Andrea. Do you have, you have your own site? Damn, that's cool. Awesome. I don't know how many times you've been asked this, but I've been asked this many times over the last three or four years. What does it matter, the 101 Ash Street story? Why do we care? Why do you keep talking about it? All that stuff, right? Yeah, but it's like one of the easiest questions in the world to answer. You don't like it? Go read something else. There's a million things to do in the world. (laughs) It's true. Get off my back. Go away. I don't care. But I will say now we have a real big number to attach to it. Yeah. Mayor Todd Gloria and two city council members, uh, Chris Kate and Sean Elo Rivera, the president of the council, he and they want to settle one of the major lawsuits for this building. Now, just remember, so the city of San Diego agreed many years ago to lease to own this tower, 101 Ash Street, the former headquarters of Sempra, for a significant amount of money. And they would take ownership of it when they were done leasing it over this period, right? That's a lease to own deal. And uh, they couldn't move into it because as they were trying to rehab it, renovate it, they dispersed some asbestos and it's now uninhabitable, correct? To my understanding. So the proposal is that the city council would agree to basically purchase that building outright for $86 million and to purchase the other building that sort of led to it for $46 million. That's the Civic Center Plaza building. That's the building right across from City Hall that houses the 800 or so employees, including most of the city attorney's office. Correct. So that one would be $46 million. So combined, we're talking about basically $140 million. Yeah, $130 million. Yeah. 140, 130, 132 million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's why this matters. So the city proposal, as explained by Jay Goldstone, is right now to use city cash to buy that 86 million dollar 101 Ash Street building. 86 million dollars straight up cash, just buy it. Mm-hmm. That's 86 million dollars that could be going to all kinds of other things, uh, parks, uh, lifeguards. Uh, homeless services, 
housing assistance, all kinds of things, $86 million. And then um, they're going to borrow the money or a lot of it for the $46 million Civic Center Plaza. So that is proposal is the core of the settlement discussion set for Monday at the San Diego City Council. Okay, Andy. Yeah. What's your initial reaction when you when you heard about this proposed settlement? Well, my phone blew up when this happened, uh, and it wasn't a particular secret that this something like this was going to come, but we got terms and there was discussions for people to actually have with specifics. Uh, a lot of people wanted to know what I was thinking, and I, I, don't, I have like a, a really hard time finding any sort of grand unified theory of, uh, of an impression on this, because there's uh, just like a huge amount of unknowns still. Even to the amount that this is some sort of conclusion of this saga, the the amount that we don't know about how things will play out in the future is vast. Um, And there are like five or six different countervailing forces about what about what to think about it right now that are each interesting in their own ways. So I'll say first things first, I think it's at the very least funny and potentially significant that seven years ago, the city entered into a lease to own deal for six years ago, the city entered into a lease to own deal for 101 Ash Street. And that got them into a massive scandal. And as the time went on, what became clear about the problems that led to it being such a scandal was that they did not do significant, sufficient due diligence on the state of the building, which meant that they didn't have a really good plan for how they plan to use the building and that they weren't quite as clear as they maybe should have been about what the alternative options were. And they agreed to hold the seller. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. You know, free of any liability for what As is transaction. Big deal, right? Yeah. That, that they, they were ru- taking the building as is. They were writing all contingencies off. And say what you will about this deal. Every single one of those things is as true today as it was six <laughs> years ago. And now I don't necessarily think that means that this is a bad deal, but it's really it really stands out to me when you go through. So as we've we were just saying, uh, some of the countervailing forces against this deal, City Attorney Mara Elliott took a a very unusual step to release her own legal opinion that the city absolutely should not take this settlement. They kicked her out of the negotiations. They kicked her out of the negotiations months ago, apparently. And and in her words, she, or excuse me, not her words, the her spokesperson's words, um, it became clear that the parties wanted to negotiate a business settlement and that her legal authority wasn't relevant anymore. So she was not present for the negotiations. That's and insane. And she released yeah. a, a hundred page memo about her objection to the settlement. And if you go through those, like most of the, the juice of that thing is in the first couple pages. Yes. So don't, you don't need to like be too daunted. If, you, if you're if you curious, you don't need to read 100 pages. But those first few bullet points that she itemizes, she might as well be talking about the deal from 2016. Yeah. It's identical. All right, let's go <laughs> Let's go through this. So basically the, the, the settlement would be that the city, which was, again, already under contract to lease to own these two buildings, yeah. would purchase them outright for, you know, again, $132 million, some of it in just straight cash. Sistera, the company that facilitated these deals, that was the landlord seller mm-hmm. in these mm-hmm. deals, would pay the city back $7.5 million dollars from the profit it made on the Ash Street deal. And the people, uh, the the owners, essentially, of these buildings, which became the lenders because they're leasing to own them, right? Mm-hmm. They agreed to waive any prepayment fees. So yes. that's not money coming to the city, but that is a thing they were entitled to, right? Yeah. And so all of that to mean that the city now gets... We'll get those two buildings. We'll what, own them. What the city gets out of this is, from a non-actuarial perspective, they get certainty. They, yes. they know what their future holds with these with uh, the office space for their workforce. Um, from an actuarial perspective, what they get out of this is 
millions of dollars taken off of the end payment of these two contracts, which they may have gotten been able to zero out these contracts if they fought through a, a lengthy years long legal process. Um, I don't have a particularly good read on whether they would have won or would have lost or and you know how good the lawyering by the city would have had to be to to push them back for and I don't think anybody can really say with too much certainty about those two things but they lowered their out of pocket cost at the end of the these transactions by being able to uh, to to come to this agreement I think if you when they first filed this, because of how sort of expeditionary it was, yeah. For for you, if somebody would have told me then that they're going to get seven and a half million dollars and a couple other benefits out of this, and they then they get to take control of these buildings without this lease to own structure, I think I would have been like, wow, yeah, that's pretty impressive because I didn't think they were getting anything. Well, certainly the way it looked at that time was like, well, these idiots slipped on a banana peel. They've done everything wrong, and They've got no recourse now. It turns out they they get you know they, so they got something out of it. They get one more thing, which is that if they take control of this building and they keep suing the contractors who messed it up, mm-hmm. they might get some money back from them, and they might get some of the insurance from those companies and others that are helping them make sure this gets better, right? Yes, because that is not part of the settlement. All right, so now to the opposition. So Mara Elliott well, said- we should, we, While we're here, we should also mention that uh, there's one other thing not included in this. Yes. One other thing, the, the city retains the right to continue its lawsuit against Jason Hughes, the broker who for a long time volunteered for the city. Uh, he's the one that came up with the idea for them to do these lease to own deals. Uh, he's the one that got them. I think you could say he served as an intermediary negotiator with them. And as a volunteer for the city, he says, and, and I think has proven that he did tell them he would seek compensation for them. Right. But I don't think he was entirely forthright with the city, nor with the public, that he actually had a contract with the seller lenders of these buildings that if the city made these deals, he would get 45% of their profits or have to pay 45% of their losses if they didn't make the deal. Right. And so they're continuing to sue him, and that goes forward. Yeah. Okay. Opposition. All right. The opposition. Mara Elliott, the city attorney, believes that you shouldn't do this. Yeah. That, yes, Sestera is giving you $7.5 million they made off of the 101 Ash Street deal, but they're going to keep the $6.2 million they made on the Civic Center Plaza deal, which was just as bad. It was had just the yeah. same, quote, forbidden financial interest and transactions that the other one had. Yeah. And they're they're waiving the prepayment penalties on this on the on the lease for both buildings. Right. Uh she also says, like, we're gonna have to keep paying legal fees on this because you're also saying to Sister and those others, we're not gonna sue you anymore and we in fact indemnify you from any other claims that we might make. Right. So she's like, why would we do that? Which is that same concern that people brought up about why she signed off on the earlier deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she says like, why are we doing this? This is going to be a problem going forward. There's no particular reason you have to do this now. Yeah. Like, why don't we just finish these investigations and see what we can get out of it? You haven't even looked at the building. You haven't done your... Due diligence, right? <laughs> due diligence. You're <laughs> yes. buying it as is. Yeah. Uh, and And then she brings up, which I'm not sure is her area but she's like you don't even know what you're going to do with this building yeah yeah there's a mix of legal concerns and like uh i I mean i guess for lack of a better word policy concerns yeah where she's just like this is no this is no way to run a city i mean she's basically like (laughs) what are you guys doing (laughs) yeah she's like she's like the general talking to the president saying like don't surrender this war now i can win this war well so uh, uh, that's a good point because one part of this, it should not be surprising that she is dissenting because I don't think it's a stretch to view the decision to settle as a vote of no confidence by the mayor and city council in Mar Elliott's ability to win these lawsuits. I, you know, they may well, not, I, they may not frame it that way, but, and, and, and maybe they, they might not frame it that way at all because as um you know, somebody 
said at one of the, at the press conference that winning the lawsuits may leave us in a bad situation too. Yeah, we might win the lawsuit and then we just don't have don't a place have. for these workers to be. We have to negotiate something new. Right. And then there was this. Let's play this real quick. They clearly want these buildings. Yeah. And I think we can't minimize like how much they're like let's just get these buildings. Like she's saying we can win and we're free and clear from these buildings. And they're like, no, 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 we want them. We want the buildings. <laughs> yeah. we want Here them. was Jay Goldstone, yeah. the city's chief operating officer, kind of showing a flash of how much they want them. The city will now ha also have the flexibility to determine the future development of nearly six square blocks around 101 Ash and the Civic Core, which includes Cab, Cobb, CCP, the Parkade, Civic Theater, etc. All right. Lopez, do you know what Cab, Cobb, and CCP are? Cab, Cobb, CCP, Cab, Civic Theater, Cobb, NBA. Like yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's do that for him real quick. Cobb is the building that Development Services is on. It's on Front Street, the right? Firehouse on the, on the first floor. Yeah. Oh, this right. like really ugly one? Yes. It's a, I think it's a, it's, it's a delightful building. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not a delightful building. But, uh, and then uh, Cab is the actual city hall. That's right. Yeah, that's, yes, and right. CCP is the one where the city attorney's office is the tower across the, the plaza from City right. Hall. And then they have Civic Theater in between all of that. And then now if you add and Parkade, Street, And Parkade is also there. They, now, it's all complex. Yeah, if you add the 101 Ash Street, suddenly they do have six blocks that they could package together and do some kind of major redevelopment with, which I think if you ask them under a cloud of peyote, they would probably admit they want to redevelop the whole thing. And why not? Look how good they are at it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just look at this city. This is like, Giant if there's anything that they do successfully over and over and over again, it's, it's big real estate development deals. You know, they did at the press conference. I, someone, oh, yeah, you went. I, yeah, I don't remember who it was, but someone was like talking about this opportunity and how like, yeah, there are lots of city buildings where you have staff that are old buildings and they're not in good condition like even this room where we're standing right now like is you know you're in one of these buildings and I just like looked up and there was like a tape like holding a tile from the roof yeah yeah it was, like <laughs> it was so funny coffee stain on the ceiling yeah, like, how like, did that get coffee up there? I like looked up I was like oh yeah <laughs> no the, the city hall is not a, a pride and joy of this community no. you go to like Philadelphia or San Francisco their city halls are stunning old lasting buildings this is not this is not a good place but yes we will be on this podcast in seven years talking about another san diego special redoing this entire area right i i can't see a way around that i cannot see a way around that yeah. now there's one part of this that was fascinating lisa did a good job sussing this out so mara elliott doesn't like this deal yeah and so the deal can't happen, though, unless she signs it. Yes. So, so th this might not be the most important thing for anybody else to understand, but it's clearly the most fascinating part to me. And me. I find this fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So they could approve the settlement, which yeah. makes it a real deal, but she has to sign it. And she's, she must sign she's, it. The she's against it. <laughs> But she must sign it. She has to. So I have a question. Yeah. If she must sign it, Andy, yeah. right. why does she have to sign it? Right. What does her signature actually what mean? It, the, the, all like common law understanding of a signature, at least the way I understand it, is that it, it implies consent. Uh -huh. And she does not consent to this deal. Yeah. She opposes it. But she... She must sign it. If she must sign it. At which it. point it is stripped of its meaning. as a, uh, It no longer has any signifier if, if she doesn't. So she must sign it. She has to. But what if she doesn't? She has, has to. to. <laughs> then why does she have to? Exactly. Why does it need her signature if it doesn't matter what her, her actual consent is? And that she officially publishes at the same time a lengthy document outlining that she does not want this to happen. So what has she done instead? She's decided to put next to her signature, like, in form only? What does that even mean? I don't know. Lawyers seemed significantly less impressed by this distinction than me, that, that like, that as form uh, sig signature seems to be something they understand. So for all the lawyers out there, okay. 
you guys passed the bar. Congratulations. You get, finally get is, to talk about this This is this an in ongoing public, theme but, in yeah. San Diego politics because yeah. we go back to 2013 when Mayor Bob Filner was in charge and he handed they got they handed him some documents on the desk that says that he needs to sign off on the hotels getting yeah. all this spending that they set aside from their little special tax. Yeah. And so they're like you have to sign this so that they can get their money. And he looked at it and he said I'm not going to sign it. And, and they said like, but you must. They said but you have to. And he said no. And then they <laughs> they said but you but I'm sorry you I don't think you understand you have to sign it. And he's like then why do I have to sign it? Yeah. And that was a really good point. Like like why do you you can't force me to sign something. Yeah. And yet they could and they ended up proving that they did, but it took it he actually held up millions of dollars in promotional spending and, for well, San didn't, Diego. Didn't he extract something yes. out of that? Yeah, yes. and he constantly did. And I think like this comes up a lot. It's like what it's it's an existential like flaw in the rule the, of law. Like at the, what point do you do that man that? never did something without asking what leverage he yeah. held and how what he could get out of it. But I mean so outside of this sort of thought exercise, what what it does reveal is the multiple roles that we as a city have given to the city attorney, that she serves as a sort of notary, you know, some uh, uh, she has an official role with the city as the, the, as the legal entity, lawyer. as the corporate lawyer that must sign off on this. But as an elected official, she feels compelled by the people who, her, who are her boss, which is not the mayor, it is the uh, the electorate of this city, to tell them, I think this is bad. I I part ways with this deal. Here are my reasons. You should uh, you should be aware of these things that I think about this. Apart from the legal responsibility I have to put my to sign my name onto this, um, and maybe that's okay. That I mean we've. You know, we we've evaded whatever crisis might come from those contradictions for hundred years, but it's still pretty acute in this in this case. Yeah, no. Remember, she ran for office. Yeah, what six years ago? Saying like, I will be the I one will, who does not do this. I will not do. I will stay in the background. I will serve the mayor and city council. Compared as their herself attorney. to the the appointed county council the legal counsel for the county, which whose name virtually no one knows, who doesn't run for office, is you know, mm-hmm. is, a, is a background player in these deals. Mm-hmm. So that's what's coming <clears throat> up Monday, folks, that either we will agree to spend $132 million, a big portion of it in, in straight cash that the city apparently has. Yeah. Great. <laughs> or uh, they will hold it up somehow and Mara Elliott will get her way. It doesn't look like that's the case. Uh, so there was some dissent, right? Um, uh, uh, Vivian Moreno wrote that she didn't want to see it go forward. Did you see any others? Well, the the one other thing I would add is that the the IBA analysis. Did you did you read the IBA analysis? No. So the IBA analysis is 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 interesting, um, but it does not help me determine whether I personally think this is a, a good or bad deal, or or at least it doesn't doesn't break down the deal the way I would in my brain. Uh-huh. Um, it outlined the the potential costs to the city of settling these deals and eventually occupying those buildings as buildings that they own versus not doing that, paying what needs to be paid and leasing other, other property. And so... Under the proposed settlement, the IBA says that they'll spend somewhere between 228 and 300 million dollars on office space, basically. Um, and if they didn't do this settlement, that it would be between 190 million, which is less, or up to 480 million, which is much more. Hmm. So it's nice to know the spectrum that we're dealing with, but I'm going to need some probabilities here. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to need to tell me the likelihood. Of of landing on different spots and what specific points I'm going to need to look at to understand where we land or what decisions we can make to adjust where we land, uh, and so I, that's that 
it, it, it's, I guess the short version of that is this could on a pure, on its merits, this could either be the right decision or it could be the wrong decision, Yeah, which is sort of like when you have kids and you ask doctors for advice about what you should do. I will agree and they with do not tell you. They will I, never tell you. They will only tell you the world of possibilities. Yeah. I will say this. I do agree with the mayor yeah. that this isn't the easiest political thing for them to do. That when you usually look at what these folks are doing in these jobs, mm-hmm. they usually take the easiest route out, like the least political consequences. Mm-hmm. And I don't think settling it right now is the easiest route. Whether that's an indicator that it's a good decision or not, I I will agree with that part, that this is a more on the bold side of decision making and clearly headed towards some sort of broader vision for this entire six block area. Well, the only possible counter argument to that is, and this is in no short supply on Twitter, is that there's something that there's something to hide and that the settlement allows that to be possible. In which case, if that were true, which no one has marshaled significant evidence that it is true, but it's something that people are very suspicious of. If that were true, then it would be the easier option. Yeah. We'll see. We've been following the 101 Ash saga since the beginning, and our full investigation and stories and collection of explainers are at VOSD.org slash 101 Ash. That's VOSD.org slash 101 Ash. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Four months ago, our reporter, Lisa Halverstadt, got an email. It was from a local woman named Natalie Rashke, asking if Lisa could tell her family's story. They're a family of six, with kids ages 4 to 15. And through the course of the pandemic, Natalie and her husband lost their jobs, and all their life plans imploded. Lisa spent a ton of time with this family to get their story. Lisa's here with us today. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Andrea. How are you? I am doing fine, hearing a lot of response to this story. Good, good. We always like to hear that as as journalists. (laughs) Yes. So uh, tell us, Lisa, how, um, you know, you met with this family. Tell us about the family. What were they doing before they moved back to San Diego? So the Rashkis were just like a family that I think so many of us know. Um, They were both bartenders. Um, They were living up in Sacramento. They were doing really well, you know, all the basic stuff. They had, you know, both had cars. They had savings accounts. Um, They were able to, you know, afford all the fun things that their kids wanted to do. Uh, But then everything changed overnight with the pandemic, as so many of us experienced. They lost their jobs and they had wanted to come back to San Diego. And so they decided maybe this is an opportunity for us to come back to San Diego because they had lived here for years Mm -hmm. um, previously. And so they decided, and another thing that many people decided to do, let's buy an RV and let's take this opportunity where we don't have jobs um, to take a scenic drive down the coast, show the kids Big Sur, 
And then the thought was they would get to San Diego. They would get a spot at a campground um, where they thought that they could stay for up to nine months. And then they'd sort of figure things out. Um, they'd have time to see, you know, what, what's going to happen with COVID, um, you know, what sort of jobs could they get, you know, resettle in, in San Diego. But that just did not work out how they planned. Uh, they ended up not being able to stay um, at the RV park um, for more than a month because of the size of their family. They were told that they couldn't do an extended stay. And in fact, there also wasn't space for them to stay uh, on an extended time frame. So they were forced to leave this campground and then they ended up having to navigate where to park this RV on the street. And they started racking up a lot of tickets. Uh, and eventually uh, Dustin got um, a really good job and, uh, you know, started, started doing well. This was early in, in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and they thought, okay, you know what? This has been a lot like they had a generator that was kind of being a pain um, in their RV. And it was just a lot to be moving this RV all the time and still be getting parking tickets. Right. And so they decided, let's let's splurge. Let's get a hotel for the night. Um, This was in early February. And they ended up actually, you know, going into the hotel that night and coming out in the morning and the RV was gone. Uh, It was impounded. A police officer had ordered that the RV would be impounded and things have really, I would say, devolved from there. Right. So so they moved they moved back here. Right. And and kind of like you said, thinking, you know, we've lost our jobs. Um, let's go back to a place where we've lived before. We know San Diego. Um, you know, we we might take a couple months to get back on our feet, you know, after this move. Um, but but that seems like something that you know, a lot of people would do if they're moving somewhere where maybe they, you know, don't have an apartment set up just right away, but, um, you know, they're going to get back on their feet soon. But it sounds like as soon as they came here, things just started kind of spiraling for them. It really did. I, you know, they had this idea that they could be at this campground and that didn't work out. And then the really big thing uh, after that, um, you know, was that they started to get these tickets and they're dealing with that while their kids are in Zoom school. Um, three of their kids were enrolled in Zoom school. So imagine trying to, you know, figure out where you can safely park without getting a ticket, still getting tickets, but also like every parent knows how hard it was to get your kids to focus <laughs> in Zoom school oh, God, yeah. uh, and keep them on track with that. But then this other huge setback was having this RV be impounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some folks might ask, like, why did you know, did they try to get that RV back? It turned out they found out it would cost more than $4,800 to get that RV back. And so they decided, okay, we really should focus on trying to find a permanent place. But they started just pouring so much money into hotel stays um, because, you know, they wanted to have a a safe place to be. Um, And Natalie ended up using the family's tax refunds to buy a van that they could sleep in. but more and more of the time recently, they're staying in this van because, as we all know, now we're you know getting into the peak of San Diego's tourism season and hotels are more expensive. Uh, and so that's really forced them to stay, um, you know, to stay in, in uh, their van more often. And this is a family of six. Mm-hmm. So six people packing into a little camper van every night. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly having an effect on on the children. I remember she told you in your story about. Yes, it is having such an impact. Um, So I'll introduce everybody to the kids quickly here. Um, Ahanu is 15 and he is a high school athlete. He wrestles, he plays football. um, And, you know, he's really smart, but he's he's been struggling in school a bit. So he has to go to summer school. Um, And as you can imagine, a 15 year old boy, he's eating a lot. And he's hungry a lot right now, too. Um, and Estrella is 12. Um, and I think all of us girls can remember what it was like to be a 12-year-old girl. It's a tough time. Uh, and she's going through that, living in a van with her fellow family members, wanting her own personal space and just never really having it. Mm-hmm. And then there's Alo, who's eight years old, um, really uh, fun, uh, good-spirited kid. 
Um, but he's been struggling more recently and having little fits. And uh, he recently had told me that his new favorite song is Michael Jackson's They Don't Care About Us. But mm-hmm. he doesn't really understand why that's his favorite song, but it like really speaks to him. Mm-hmm. And then there's Lulu, who's four, very, very cute little girl. But her reaction to the situation is that she's very clingy to her mom, Natalie. She's always wanting mom's attention. Uh, and that makes it harder, too, is Natalie, you know, she, Natalie isn't working. She's not able to work. But as she's trying to, you know, help move the family's belongings every day and trying to call 211 to see what kind of services or other things they could qualify for or calling landlords. Um, so it's, it's just been a lot for this family to handle. And, and Dustin is working six days a week mm-hmm. uh, just as much as he possibly can. And even with three raises that he's gotten, um, since he started his job, they can't find a place. Mm-hmm. So Lisa, you've been covering homeless for a long time, and you've often worked on pieces about, you know, dispelling the myths around homelessness. And so, um, you know, I was paying attention to some of the comments um, on your story and also just on social media. People are wondering, you know, why isn't the family looking for a safe lot or why didn't they park in a safe parking lot in the first place? Um, why don't they just move somewhere else? Um, can you kind of answer that question for some people based on your experience covering homelessness? Yeah. So at a high level, what I would say is that the experience of living without a home is so much more complicated up close. And just like many of us have preferences, um, so too do people that are do people that are experiencing homelessness. Um, and in this case, uh, the Rashkis oldest son, Ohanu, like I said, is a student athlete and he was playing football and sometimes his practices would run until eight o'clock at night. And this was extremely important to Natalie and Dustin that Ohanu be able, Ohanu continue to be able to play football. Well, the safe lot, according to the police officers that they were interacting with, uh, who were recommending that they go to the safe lot, they were saying that for one, the family would have to leave the safe lot every day by 7 a.m., The safe lot was in Mission Valley, which is far away from where their kids go to school in Pacific Beach and Claremont. Um, And also, they would need to get into the safe lot by 7 o'clock at night, according to this police officer. Now, that turns out to not be right. Actually, uh, families can come into the safe lot, um, I believe it's as late as 930. But this is the information that they had. And the Rashkis have been so focused on their kids' mental health, and they thought that it was just so important that Hanu be able to continue playing football like his friends. Um, they also were concerned, too, about if they were go to, would go to the safe lot, which if folks haven't heard of something like this, it's a, a parking lot where people can go uh, and park their vehicles and you know potentially access services and showers. But, you know, the Rashkis were concerned, like, because they have young kids, who else is at the safe lot? They had a lot of questions that they just couldn't quite get satisfying answers on. And as I think every parent knows, you know, you're constantly trying to make the decision about what's best for your kids. And I think they were just really concerned about how this would affect their routine. Um, I don't know, you know, of how many of our listeners have multiple kids in different schools, but Natalie spends more than an hour every day um, as it is when the kids are in school, taking them to school and picking them up separately. So two hours a day doing that. Mm-hmm. So if suddenly they were in Mission Valley, instead of being in a more proximate location, that would take even more time and gas, which we all know is very expensive right now. Oh, yeah. And and Lisa, tell me, what was it like spending time with them for you as a reporter? Well, I just first off want to say that uh, the Rashkis were so generous uh, to share their story. Um, I had some great conversations with them and certainly they, they really wanted me and the larger community to understand the tough choices that they've had to make. Um, and you know, really how honestly they feel like they've been failed, um, by our city, um, because the city impounded their vehicle and they are frustrated too with the RV, um, lot that told them they needed to leave. So they definitely wanted, wanted that to come through. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult sometimes as a reporter because you have to sit and watch something play out. And, uh, I'm a human also. And I, it just sometimes was very difficult because I, I have come to care for this family, 
uh, and these kids. And some of the conversations I had in a ha- with Ahanu in particular will always stick out with me. Um, he's, he's 15, but he's just such an old soul. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about how he hopes that his story can help other people and about how the perspective the perspective that he's gotten from this experience, you know, that he once used to think things about homeless people that he saw. And now he realizes that they're just people without homes. Um, and, you know, he, he was literally talking to me about how like, this is a chapter in his book of life, which is like, Whoa, you're 15. Um, but I, I guess I would just say, you know, again, I was just like really impressed with how willing they were to, to have these conversations with me. And, uh, I should also give a quick shout out to Peggy PD, awesome freelance photographer uh, who worked with me as well on this. Um, she was also so generous with her time. And it's just not lost on me how big of a deal this was that this family was willing to share their story with us. Mm-hmm. And so what's next for the family? So I do have a good piece of news. Uh, so the family learned um, that they have gotten an emergency voucher from the San Diego Housing Commission. So what this means is after they get, um, they have to go through a webinar uh, next week, um, but they will have some assistance. Um, so it'll cover a portion of their rent. Uh, and now they can go uh, try to find a landlord with a little bit more assistance. Um, and this should help because right now, one of the uh, issues that uh, Natalie and Dustin shared with me is that you know, they, they have the money, um, you know, to, to rent a place. Uh, Dustin's doing pretty well in his job. Um, but often the requirement is that you have to have 2.5 times that monthly rent in income, mm-hmm. a monthly income. And that's just really hard because only Dustin's able to work right now. So they're hoping that this voucher will make things easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope to stay in touch with them as they continue through this process think they're they're going into it knowing because of the experience that they've had already that it's going to be really difficult to find a place. Uh, It's really a landlord's market right now. Um, There's a very, very low vacancy rate. Um, But I will say one thing that has also, you know, really, I think just they've been so taken aback by is how many people after they shared their story have wanted to help. Um, And so there have been people, you know, even wanting to maybe help them find a place. Um, so hope to stay in touch with them and and hear how that's going. Yeah, well, we so appreciate you, Lisa, for covering these stories the way that you do. You can see this piece and all of Lisa's great reporting on homelessness and housing at VOSD.org slash Lisa. That's VOSD.org slash Lisa. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego and in partnership, in collaboration with the great Andrea Lopez Villafania. Lopez, love having you here. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafania is our Managing Editor. Andrew Keats is our Managing Editor as well. Adam Greenfield's our Technician. And Nate Johns, our Producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>